0: You can go ahead and have a seat. Welcome again to the Capitol Church. As always, glad you're here. I think especially here this morning, glad you're here. Uh, there could have been easy reason to not be here, so uh, good job in, in coming through the snow and, and through the slippery weather, all that. Um, I hope you show up here with a 2023 that's going incredibly well, but I, but I always feel like, Uh, One of the things I want to kind of put before us pretty often is that uh, this is an okay place for you to be if 2023 is not going well. I think if you've had a great week, uh, you can come here and be yourself and celebrate a great week. I think if you've had a bad week, this is still a safe place for you to come and just be who you are. Uh, I feel like uh, God has some powerful things that he wants to do in your life, regardless of where you come from and what your story is as you come in here. But I also think that God can't powerfully move in the lives of people that we pretend to be. And so this is a safe place uh, for you because I think God values you and loves you right where you're at. And so we as a church value you and love you right where, right where you're at. And, and we want really good things for you. Uh, we want a life Uh, that is full of joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction, we want a lot for you. And so uh, whatever you need to be uh, to feel comfortable sitting in here, just just feel free to be yourself, feel free to have the week that you've had and come here as you are. Uh, We want, as I've said, the best for you. And so that's led us to start this month of January in a habits series. One of the things that I think is true for a lot of us is a lot of us walk in here Having thought through already this year who we are, what's true of us, and some of us have even gone a step further to figure out who we want to be and what we want to be true of us. And one of the things that I know is if we want different outcomes in our lives, we're gonna have to change up some habits to create outcomes. And so we're talking about habits through the month of January. Uh, James Clear is an author of the number one New York Times best-selling book, Atomic Habits, and he says this that I think is incredibly insightful and important. He says, your outcomes are a lagging measure of your habits. Outcomes trail your habits. He goes on to say, things like your net worth are a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning habits. Your clutter is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. You get what you repeat. And then he says this, that I think is maybe the most important line in his book. He says, you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your habits. Outcomes trail habits, and if that's true, I think it's helpful for us to not only think about who we want to be, but to think about outcomes we want to be true in our life. And if we want that, then we've got to figure out the habits done consistently that are going to create the outcomes that we want in our life. I'm convinced that healthy habits will lead to great effects in your life. This series is designed to talk about some spiritual habits because we want spiritual outcomes in your life. I think if you do some powerful spiritual rhythms in habits, behind that, following the habit are gonna be some outcomes that are also spiritually powerful. And so we've been talking about this through the month of January. We started in week one, talking about adding the Bible into your habits in 2023. Allow the Bible to speak into your life. I think what can be true of you is that We haven't yet maybe found a lot of value in the Bible, and so we're saying maybe start off in 2023 with a really low bar by adding the Bible in some type of way. Maybe it's reading a verse once a week. Maybe it's just entering into the Bible in some way to allow the Bible to speak into you. Then we moved on to the habit of remembering. Far more often in the Bible, God says to remember than he does to look ahead. And so God would set up systems and rhythms and symbols and habits all throughout his people's lives to give them an ability to look back and remember, because if we don't look back and remember the good things God has done, we're going to be forgetful people, and it's not going to lead us to life and joy. It's going to lead us to feel cheated and to feel like God's not blessing me in the way that he should. And so we talked about remembering as a habit, and then this week, we're going to move on to our third of four. So, if you have a Bible and you're interested in following along, this is a great time to grab it and turn to Proverbs chapter 18. If you're unsure where Proverbs is, uh, you can just open up your Bible into the middle. If you do a good job at picking the middle, uh, I think you'll be in Psalms and then you just go forward a little bit. If you want to pull out a phone, feel free to do that. If you're interested in following along, Proverbs 18 is where we're going to start. Uh, if you're an, an overachiever and like everything planned out, we're also gonna touch James 3. If you're interested in going there, uh, you can definitely do that. Now, l- let me talk a little bit about what I know about you. Uh, I, I know some in the room. I maybe even know a lot in the room. I don't know everybody, but I still feel confident saying, let me, let me talk about what I know about you. We as humans spend roughly 70 to 80% of our waking life in some form of communication, 70 to 80% of the time we are not sleeping, we're in some form of communication. And 30% of our waking life is spent physically talking, which equals about four hours every single day we're talking. That's average. Uh, some of us considerably more, some of us considerably less, but we average about four hours across the room physically talking. That does not account for texting. Social media comments or DMs, emailing, creating and sharing reels and TikToks. This, we're just simply talking about using words in conversation over four hours. And so, so much of our life is spent in some form of communication. It should not surprise us that God in his wisdom and sovereignty is going to have some things to say about our communication. If we are in communication unendingly for the rest of our lives, I think it's gonna be helpful to take a look at what God has to say about communication because I think on the other side of this, a lot of us may find a habit that will not only lead us into something better, I think it will also lead the people around us into something better. I think that's possible for us here this morning. And so if you're interested, you've probably already turned to Proverbs 18. I'm gonna start off by just reading One verse, it's verse 21, big bold 18 of Proverbs in small 21. Here's what it says. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now listen, listen again to what God's opinion of the power of words is in your life, in my life. Again, verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Now, does that feel like an overstatement to you? Because if we think that's an overstatement, then we can just forget about it and move on. But if it's not an overstatement and that's an accurate statement, then it will become important for us to take a pretty deep dive into our communication and what our communication is creating in us and in other people, and maybe even what it could create in us and in other people, because this is not a casual thing. This is something that if it has the power, if it holds the weight of life and death, then we better take a pretty honest look at communication and see what it's creating and maybe even what it could create in my life and in the lives of people around us. God feels like words have the power of life, but he also feels like words have the power of death. Let me show you what history is has to say about this. A man named Major Dr. William Mayer, which if you're saying a few words before you get to somebody's first name, it means they're, they're pretty successful, uh, have done some special things in their life. And William Mayer uh, became the US Army's chief psychiatrist. He, he did this study where he took 1,000 American soldiers who were prisoners of war during the Korean War The Korean War happened from 1950 to 1953. A shout out if you were alive then. I think we need more people, honestly, in our church that were born before the 50s. Uh, A lot of us, it's like born in the 90s or later, which is a great thing. Uh, But a special welcome to you if you're like, oh, I remember the Korean War. Uh, Glad that you're here. Uh, This guy took a look at 1,000 POW prisoners in the Korean War in these camps for about three years. What he found was fascinating. These camps initially were considered highly unusual but not cruel. In fact, uniquely, these camps, uh, the, the American soldiers in them had plenty of food. Uh, they had plenty of water. They actually had pretty impressive uh, like huts for them to live in. They were warm. They were out of the elements. They were sheltered. So initially, it seemed like a pretty luxurious place to live, and they weren't physically tortured hardly at all. In fact, fewer cases of physical abuse were reported in North Korean POW camps than any prison camps in any major military conflict in history. So like, if you're gonna be a POW somewhere, from the outside, the best place for you to be was gonna be in North Korea because they gave you tons of food, They gave you a great place to live and they didn't put their hands on you. What else made this highly unusual as a camp was they they didn't keep prisoners in with barbed wire. They didn't have high concrete walls. In fact, they didn't even have armed guards trying to keep prisoners in. And what's unusual first is that they didn't try to keep prisoners in, but what what else is unusual is that they have no record of any American prisoner trying to escape. So so from the outside, these camps looked as luxurious as prisoner of war camps could be. You had food, there wasn't physical abuse, nobody had a gun in your face trying to keep you there. And what became really unusual is the effects of these camps on their prisoners were devastating. The death rate in these camps is higher than any other American military camp that has ever existed in history. 38% of prisoners died in these camps. Again, that's higher than has ever been in any war. Eventually the war would be over and these American soldiers that survived these camps had an opportunity to call home, tell loved ones, hey, the war is over and I'm coming home. And another unusual situation is very few Americans even decided to make a call home of excitement. Very few took the opportunity to call family and friends and loved ones. What else is unusual? As those who survived got home, they maintained almost little to none relationship with other prisoners that were part of the camp, which is highly rare, unusual. So Dr. Mayer set out to try to figure out what's happening in these camps that had historically negative results on the soldiers who were there because none of this makes sense. It felt like a luxury camp that still has the highest Death rate, what is, what is happening, and what he found was fascinating. He ultimately found that the North Koreans had figured out a way to skillfully use the weapon of words, not torture, not starvation, but language and words. It became common for soldiers to come into their houses during uh, these camp times that they, they would come in. They would very casually, without much energy and passion, grab a blanket from their bed. They would walk themselves into the corner of their room. They would put a blanket over their head, and commonly within two days, that prisoner would die with no medical excuse, justification, or explanation. These prisoners were dying in such high rates, and they couldn't medically figure out what was going on. So the soldiers started calling this give up itis. Because they're watching soldiers just so dejected give up on life with no hope and die without any medical explanation. It became known as marasmus, which is described as having no resistance or hope. The most devastating weapon ever used in POW camps in history is not a physical weapon, but a mental weapon, a vocal weapon. And, and here's what the North Koreans would do. They would try to do four main things to create such deadly damage in their prisoners. The first is they found a way to get soldiers to snitch on each other. But what's interesting is they would get soldiers to tell of broken rules from other soldiers, but they would never actually enter in and punish anybody because their goal was not to stop prisoners from doing wrong things. Their goal was to create division among themselves. So if they could highly reward snitching, then what would continue to unravel and gain momentum was soldiers not liking other soldiers, Americans not liking other Americans in their hut. So they highly rewarded snitching and didn't punish anybody at any time. They would also use what they would call self-criticism. They would gather prisoners into groups of 10 to 12, and they would have them confess to each other all the worst things they've ever done in their life and all the good that they could have done and chose not to. They were never confessing to the guards. They were told to confess to each other. And what started to happen was as they're sharing the worst parts of themselves, it starts to erode in the group reputation and character and respect amongst the group. They're isolating each other. They're talking about uh, all the things that create shame in them. And instead of gaining a relationship with each other, they started to erode anything positive, self-criticism. They started feeling bad about themselves. They started hearing how terrible everybody else was around them. The weapon they're trying to get them to use is just damage of reputation. And third, they would get soldiers to break loyalty that they had for each other. They would whisper behind other soldiers' backs what people are saying about them and what they heard through the grapevine. These guards would just share lies with these prisoners about what they're hearing, about people's opinion of them. They would stir up these lies and create drama. And what would happen over time is the loyalty that these American prisoners had for each other slowly gets broken down. They would actually test this. They would take an American soldier, and they just put him out in the elements with no food, no water, no shelter at all, just to see what would happen. And it was common on record for other Americans to have an ability to bring them food, to pull them back into shelter. And yet so often what would happen is when an American was put outside of the shelter, they would just die a slow death out there. Because what they created was a bunch of American soldiers who didn't look and see somebody they could help. That relationship and loyalty was broken a long time ago. And so they'd see somebody that wasn't their responsibility. Fourth, maybe the most malicious, they would withhold all positive communication. If a soldier got a letter from home that was positive or supportive, they would withhold that letter. If a negative letter came in, they would immediately deliver that to every soldier. In fact, they started reaching out Uh, to all these places in the United States that are debt collectors, and they would find the American soldiers that had outstanding debt or bills that were overdue. They would get them sent to North Korea so they could deliver these to the prisoners. They would deliver letters that said lost uh, family members and loved ones have died. They would deliver letters that said, hey, your wife has moved on and she's with another man now. They would deliver anything that they thought was negative and withhold all positive communication. And so you can imagine as three years begin to unfold, any outside communication these guys are getting is strictly negative. And so what it created in them was no desire to fight, no hope, no belief in themselves or their loved ones, and slowly they started die to, to die simply from the power of words. As we zoom out... And look at what history tells us. It reinforces that words have the power of life and death. And we're not just talking about spiritual life and death. We're talking about physical life and death. And maybe you still aren't convinced because the Korean War feels like a long time ago. So let me try and bring this into 2023. Suicide from bullying is the third leading cause of death of people between the ages of 10 and 24, which means cancer, not as dangerous. Heart disease, not as dangerous. It results in 4,400 lives roughly lost each year in the United States. And for every suicide attempt that is successful, there's over 100 suicide attempts that are unsuccessful, which means almost half a million suicide attempts in the United States alone, simply from the power of words. Between 10 and 24, half a million suicide attempts a year simply from the power of words. History would be clear that at least words have the power of death, at the very least. But I think they have the power of life as well. James is the name of the brother of Jesus. He was a highly influential leader in the city of Jerusalem, like like ground zero when the movement of Christianity started to spread around the world. James, highly influential. He loved Jerusalem. He loved the people in Jerusalem. And he says, brother of Jesus, some really interesting things about words himself. Here's what he says in James 3. You could go there if you want. You could feel free to listen as well. James 3 verse 3 says this, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Now, the maximum weight a a bit for a horse could weigh is two pounds. You're talking about the heaviest bit is two pounds. That gives you full control over a 1,000 to 2,000 pound animal. I do not have a lot of history with riding horses. I'm from the suburbs. I don't even think I know somebody with horses, although when I think of horses, I immediately get the image of a girl I went to high school with. Uh, Maybe you know of a horse girl as well. Uh, Had the folders, had all those types of things. Uh, But in my wedding reception, like eight and a half years ago, my grandpa came up to me Uh, in a real smooth, classy way, he just like slapped a couple hondos in my hand and he said, hey, you're about to go on your honeymoon. Uh, I wanna give you some money to do, for for you and Shailen to do what uh, you would not typically do because of cost. I I just want you guys to do something fun on me. And so we went to the Dominican Republic, which is like the first real fancy vacation, honestly, the only fancy vacation uh, I've really ever been on. And we decided to take that money and go horseback riding. Here was the pitch to us. Uh, you would ride horses for a couple hours to the coast. It was, it was like a, a coastline horseback ride, which max, we saw the ocean for five minutes. I would say absolute max. A couple hours riding on these trails. We like saw the ocean for a quick second, and then it was a couple hours back. Uh, once we got to like the ranch, uh, they assigned me uh, a horse that they told me his name was Moreno. And so I was pretty pumped. Like, Moreno and I are gonna spend some time together for the next couple hours. Uh, and I was excited to have Moreno for maybe 10 minutes. And he would, he would start to do these things. Like, we're in a group of people uh, that had this, you know, led by a guide, and there's a bunch of us on these horses. Uh, initially, I thought it was gonna be important to Moreno that he's up front. And so he would start up front, And then somehow he would like lose focus or something, and we would slowly start to drift back, and all these other horses would start to pass us. And then once we were in the back, uh, he would get frustrated to be in the back, and so he'd start barging his way up to the front. And what would happen is these other horses are starting to get mad at him, snapping at him. Uh, We're starting to cause, me and Moreno, some drama in this group. And I'm also thinking... I'm with my new wife. We're not we're not riding next to each other at all because of Morena. We're either in the front, then we go to the back. Then he's creating drama, working his way back up. Uh, there was barbed wire often along the sides of these trails because it was private property on either side, and and he would bump into horses and go around to the outside. I'm, I literally have to pull my leg out of the straps and hold it up because I'm gonna be scraped along the barbed wire. I'm starting to get really frustrated, so I'm leaning forward like Moreno, I swear if you try to get back up to the front, you need to pick the front or the back. I'm getting very frustrated. Eventually the guide says to me, hey, uh, those reins that are in your hand can actually have, Pretty, pretty high level of control on that horse. Uh, and I told him, my fear is I, I don't wanna give that a go. And then, you know, Moreno gets upset and then I'm thrown off and he's already made enemies in the group anyways. And so I don't wanna, I don't wanna get injured. Uh, at this point, I don't care if he's injured. I just want a new horse. Uh, but eventually he says, no, no, listen, trust me. Grab the reins because where the mouth goes, the horse goes. Where the mouth goes, the animal goes. This was true thousands of years ago, and James points to the fact. Where the mouth goes, the animal goes. There's power in where the mouth goes. He he continues in verse four. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Thousands of years worth of technological advances, and there's still no better way to steer a ship. You want to move something incredibly big with all kinds of power and force. Just put a little rudder in control of that. Verse 5, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. One of the most influential leaders in the history of Christianity in the brother of Jesus Wants the city that he loves, in the city that he lives in, to understand the power of words. With them come the power of life, but with them come the power of death. Understand their power. Understand the weapon that all of us are using, positively or negatively. We are going to be creating something. It's helpful to evaluate what we are creating. Now, you and I, we, we don't have a lot in common with God, although we do have some things. When God speaks, he creates. From the beginning, he speaks and there's light. He speaks and there's stars. He speaks and there are planets. When God speaks, he creates. I think you would be greatly underestimating the power of your words if you think you don't create when you speak as well. You don't create galaxies and rivers and mountains, but you can create hope and you can create courage and you can create joy. You can create peace and security and comfort and love and value, but you also can create hopelessness and fear and disappointment and discouragement. You can create confusion and insecurity, and anxiety, and doubt. I sat with a, a group of guys earlier this week that, that love me, and know me, and one of the things I said to them, I think if I evaluate 30 years of my life up to this point, I would say probably the greatest place of failure for me is how I decide to weaponize the words that I use. And I'm not talking about Uh, you know, dirty language or whatever. I've got a son who's gonna turn three on Saturday. And honestly, I I don't talk different at home than I talk in public. 99% of the things I say, I'm comfortable with him hearing and saying, uh, which he's doing now. Uh, I decided to shorten the word stupid to stoops. Uh, And so I would say stoops to Shailen and I, and then he started calling people stoops. And that was like one of the 1% that Shailen's like, stop saying stoops because he's starting to call me stoops at home, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's fair. Uh, when I talk failure for me in my words, I'm not, I'm not really talking about uh, vulgar or disgusting words. For me, historically, uh, how I've used words is to kind of like up my social standing at the expense of somebody else's. I, I know that I've created insecurity in people because I was more concerned about being funny in a group than I was about actually creating courage and confidence, and security, and helpful identity. I've not created compliments that lead people to feel good about who they are and who they're becoming. I've not encouraged people to keep doing what they're doing even when it's hard. I started to look forward. My son, who's gonna be three, and my daughter, who's gonna be one, and I think to myself, what, as a father, what could I create in them? Because I know there's a day when what's gonna be fighting for their hearts, what's gonna be fighting for their mentality is insecurity and a loss of dignity and a loss of value. I know they're gonna look at themselves in the mirror and wish a lot of things were different, and yet I can be a creator. I can create confidence. I can create value. I can create love. I can create security. But I know for me, traditionally, what I also can create is insecurity and anxiety and doubt and disappointment and discouragement. You would be undervaluing the power of your words to say you don't create things when you speak either because you do. You just have to choose what you are going to create because you create when you use your words. When you speak to people, you're creating. When you speak to yourself, you're creating. You are always creating, and so I wonder what you will create this week with your words. I wonder what you could create this week with your words. Words hold the power of life, and they also hold the power of death. Don't underestimate them. I wonder if the legacy that we leave behind is one where when we entered into a room and started speaking, life followed us. I also wonder how many of us in the room, when we get into a room, when we get into conversation and we start speaking, how much death follows us. I wonder what would happen if we as a people loved our city enough, if you're a student, you loved the campus enough to be the type of person who creates life around them. Like you're gonna be talking anyways. You're gonna be creating anyways. You're gonna be texting and DMing anyways. What if... We created habits that allowed us to create positive things in other people. And we weren't so casual about what we're creating because when we're casual, we're always going to drift towards death, not life. We're always going to drift towards what's unhealthy versus what is healthy. It's going to take some intentionality and it's never too late to weaponize your words for life. I want that for you, I want that for me, I want that for us. I imagine a city and a church that is so filled with the power of words being used in the right way to create all positive things in life. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. Imagine what would happen if we spent some intentional time, maybe on a daily basis maybe on a weekly basis, to just try and weaponize our words to bring life. What would happen if you got up and maybe once a week you wrote a note to somebody just to try and bring encouragement, to try to bring courage, to try to bring confidence, to try to bring security, to try to allow them to not have to perform in relationships to remind them that they don't have to perform in Christianity, you don't have to perform to belong here, you can come as you are. What if we started using our words? What if we started writing notes to create life, not to bring death? What if as we scrolled our social media and looked at comments, we just saw people trying to extend life, not trying to strip it down and bring death? I've noticed as an Ohio State football fan Live or die, I will bleed Ohio State football. Check me on that. We talk about it enough here, if you've come regularly. We talk about it enough. Uh, Pretty tough end to the season. Uh, And out of curiosity, I went on Noah Ruggles' Instagram account a couple hours after the game, and I found what you would imagine. A whole bunch of people who don't understand the power of their words who don't think Instagram comments actually hold with it the power of life and death. I found people who get emotional and start weaponizing their words, not understanding. That can bring a whole lot of confidence and joy, and peace, but it also can bring great despair and discouragement. What would happen if you found a habit of weaponizing your words to bring life? What would happen if you took time maybe every morning to think about somebody that could use a text message, short but powerful? What happen if you walked around every day with your eyes up on somebody who needs your words, something you can compliment, something you can draw their attention to, some reasons that you can thank somebody? I don't know what the habit needs to look like for you Uh, But one of the things that that I wanted to do, I I had hundreds of these cards in our office. And I, I felt like at one point in my life, I wanted to get into the habit of just bringing life to people because I'm not great with my words and I drift into failure and I wanted to be intentional and create habits knowing that outcomes follow habits. I wanna create positive habits knowing positive outcomes are gonna happen. And so I brought this morning Hundreds of these cards. Uh, For some of you, this wasn't very intentional. It has our logo on the back. That might not be the best card for you to take. But I wanna say that you wanna take a stack of these cards and just think, man, who can I over time write a bunch of notes to? Who needs a note this week? I just wanna write it and give it to them and say, hey, keep going. I see you. I value you. I think you're doing great and I'm behind you. I support you. We have hundreds of cards out on the connect table. And and I don't care how many are taken or not taken. What I do care is that we as a church and as a city start to understand the power of our words and start to step into life in them. Because it's too short to say, man, that they hold the power of life and death. It's too short to just understand that. We need to take it a step further and say, now how am I gonna weaponize this for good? How am I gonna weaponize this For life. I don't know what this habit needs to look like for you, but I would encourage you to to figure it out, to evaluate it. And and maybe it's to take a stack of cards. Maybe it's to think of a different way to bring life and encouragement through the power of your words that makes sense for you and your station of life with what you have going on. I don't know what it is, but I know that our words, whether we like it or not, whether we talk a little bit or we talk a lot, our words have the power of life and death. You get to choose what you create in your life and in the lives of everybody around you. Let me pray for us. Father, you you know how much failure in my life and in my story could be attributed to the misuse of the power of words. You know there are times I've, I've tried to create something in me, I've tried to create something in a group by misusing words. I, I, I wanna confess that, I wanna ask for forgiveness in that, I, I wanna rest in grace in that and just continue to move on and use them for life more today than I did yesterday. God, I ask what you do in our city, in our church, in our college students at Ohio State, I ask what you do is create a movement of words being weaponized to bring life, weaponized to bring joy and confidence, not insecurity, to bring health, not anxiety and doubt. I ask that we have our eyes on who needs words. Ask that people come to mind that could use a text message, that could use a card, that could use a compliment, that could use confidence. God, we need your spirit to lead us to a place to use these in the right time, in the right place, and with the right words. We need your power. We need your grace as we continue to fail and as we continue to stumble forward in a desire to weaponize these in the right way. We love you. We're thankful for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.